for you to start. Did you eat the cupcake? <laughs> um, yeah, I did find out eventually that um, it was somebody, a math department. Someone in my math department, it was their birthday, so he was sharing cupcakes. So, Okay, so it was safe it, to eat. Yeah, it was safe to eat the cupcake. <laughs> like I, I did make it till like 9.30 before I took a bite. So I didn't have a cupcake at 8 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, but cupcake for breakfast sounds like the way to go. Yeah, you know, there was coconut on there. It's sort of like a fruit, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, what's your favorite scary movie? What's my favorite scary movie? Uh, well, uh, probably The Thing. Uh, not, I guess, that exciting of an answer, but John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a yeah, it's just so yeah, it's just so great. I mean, and I never tire of watching it. I always feel like I find something new, and um, it's also like really fun to show people that haven't seen it before. You know, that list for me is sort of growing shorter. But you know, when I show <laughs> when I show my son, uh, who is not really a horror fan, he he loves the movie, even though he doesn't really like horror. So I think it's just a good movie, you know. And it's well made. Yeah, it's just yes, yeah, it's fun to watch. Definitely. So. I was, Sorry, Brad, you first. I was just going to say, I was I decided to do a little research, speaking of the scary movies. Um, I heard you on uh, the Shockwaves podcast when you were uh, promoting Cabin, yeah. and you, towards the end, you started talking with them about the scary movies you had just recently watched, and I went on IMDb and added like five <laughs> movies to a list so I wouldn't forget them. Oh, it's... There was some really good stuff on there that sounded really interesting. Oh, like do you, uh, what, what ones? It's been a while, so I don't remember what I had mentioned on air. Um, there Probably was... Lake Mungo, right? Yes, that was the <laughs> that was the very first one. Um, and then there was... Well, I had a Kill List uh, t-shirt on. Kill List yeah. uh, and They Remain. Oh, yeah, yeah. They Remain is an adaptation of my friend Laird's uh, novelette. Yeah, strange movie. But really good, I think. It the the poster alone is quite terrifying, even though it's just leaves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, eye. no, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, well, thanks for listening. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, oh, glad definitely. you watched uh, some of those movies too. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think I it's hard that. to find a good scary movie to watch sometimes. No, definitely. Yeah, and I feel like I'm getting pickier as I get older. I hope that doesn't mean I'm just getting grumpier. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, I just got to host a big screen screening of Lake Mungo in Houston a couple of weeks ago. And that was a lot of fun because I'd never seen it on the big screen. Oh. So, uh, oh, yeah, that cool. was wonderful. Speaking of seeing horror movies on the big screen, I actually have tickets to go see the shining in remastered 4k in the theater tomorrow. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I, so that's going to, yeah, that, that's going to be really I think fun. I've seen that on the big screen. That's great. Yeah. It's good timing. The start of spooky season yeah, tomorrow. No that's right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So talking, you mentioned that uh, your son is not a big horror fan, and I know it was a picture of your daughter that first inspired A Head Full of Ghosts, correct? Or that um, was one of the ins- inspirations? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, certainly, I don't, know, I don't know if it was necessarily a picture of her. I just happened to have, like, a picture of her being creepy, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sc- scaling the walls. Um, I think it was more, you know, once I had this idea for A Head Full of Ghosts and the Two Sisters... I definitely used uh, my daughter, Emma, who was eight at the time when I was writing the book, you know, the same age as Mary. So, mm-hmm. you know, once I got into her character, I definitely used a lot of Emma's quirks and mannerisms. 
so much so that the book made my wife cry. Aww. <laughs> oh, wow. I was like, come on, Mary lives. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> Have either of your kids read yeah. the book? Yeah, my son Cole read it uh, last year. It was actually assigned to him by his AP creative writing uh, high school teacher. Um, <laughs> on, so on he, he, oh, wow. on yeah. No, well, I mean, uh, my son got to go to the same school that I teach at. So, um, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe a little bit of both, I suppose. But it was great because then he was he was forced by the pain of grade <laughs> to, to read my book. And actually, I'm very thankful. It was a really wonderful experience because I, I, I know he enjoyed the book. and We had some cool conversations about it. And I know it was strange for him to see, you know, to read the book and see, like, all the different things that I took, you know, from Emma, but also from him. Um, actually, a really important detail in the book of uh, character detail of Mary uh, not liking spaghetti sauce, but was my son uh, as a child. He's only finally recently started to like spaghetti sauce. But maybe that's he shouldn't. A, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'd be like, that's a very important detail. You should take that one seriously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, obviously, there's a lot about we've always lived in the castle that was was part of this. Do you remember the first time you read it? Like, what was mm. that experience like for you? That oh, you that's a good question. That's a great question. Um, so, I it wasn't the first, you know, the first Shirley Jackson, I, I assume, with most people. Well, I mean, besides the lottery, which was assigned to me in sixth grade. But I wasn't, you know, I, I won't count that necessarily as when I... I really didn't become like a reader for pleasure until like my early twenties. So when I basically rediscovered Shirley Jackson in my, uh, you know, as an adult or a young adult in my twenties, you know, Haunting of Hill House was first. Mm-hmm. Um, but soon after that was was We Have Always Lived in the Castle because I remember Penguin. I think it's Penguin had put out a new edition with an introduction from Jonathan uh, Lethem who mm-hmm. at the time was a writer that I was really getting into and I'd saw him speak somewhere. So I was always really excited to read this book with his introduction. Um, and I read the book. I was just so blown away and captivated by the, the opening chapter in particular, uh, just the description of, you know, werewolf with the extra knuckles. And um, yeah, I was just totally enchanted by the book um, that it was sort of definitely, you know, I would call it a horror novel, but it was hard to point to exactly why it necessarily was a horror novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just more sort of the sum effect of the book. Um, I don't know, it just sort of reinforced for me, you know, when I read that, uh, that my, my sort of love of reading comes, for the most part, character first. I mean, you know, obviously some stories are different. But to me, that's why I, you know, I always go back to Shirley Jackson because her characters are so real and interesting and funny. Um, I don't think anyone can quite mix humor with with the uncanny and unpleasantness the way that uh, Shirley Jackson has. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, it's become a favorite, you know, and I've, I've certainly read it more than once. Yeah. It's a, it's I'm an interesting kind read. Of ashamed to say I've never read it. You have to, <laughs> I keep buying it for people. I, How have I not bought it for you yet? <laughs> I, well, it's been sitting on my shelf. I found like a pristine copy at a thrift store and I, it's just been sitting there. Yeah. Well, no, I get it. The, the, but now enough people have said you got to read. It. I actually have I haven't watched the, the movie adaptation, yeah, which apparently is on Netflix now. Yeah, it just came um, out. I just added it. I was just going to ask you if you'd seen it. Not yet. I'm, I definitely plan on watching it within the next few weeks. I'm actually supposed to uh, jump on a podcast to talk about just that book. So I also want to see the movie, too, um, just to see how it compares. Well, it's interesting that you said it's hard to describe why it's a horror novel, because I realized that if I would try and explain the plot to somebody, it would sound like 
an, an almost soapy drama. Mm. But it's not like so much of that book is about the the tone, I think. No, absolutely. The tone and like you're not sure, you know, the the, the reliability of the storytellers there. Um, and certainly like what's going on with the town. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> there's so many like, you know, different forces impacting what goes on. Um, you know, that definitely has this sinister, but also at the same time, almost like this weirdly hopeful feeling for, you know, for the sisters at the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So for you, you know, you, you clearly enjoy horror both in, in film and in books. Did you, have you ever written anything that scared you? Like, um, or where you put like something, you, one of your fears or put something more into a, a scene or a moment than you expected? Well, I definitely, you know, put my own fears into everything. And it's hard because uh, I feel like most of the time I'm just like, you know, I can see the gears turning. So I'm so close. Typically what I do doesn't scare me. You know, I'm scared by everything else. I'm a big scaredy cat when it comes to movies. And, <laughs> you know, I still don't like being home alone if it's dark out and get freaked out. You know, if I have, to, you know, if I'm going to bed and I'm the only one in the house. Um, but I don't know, like yeah. with my own stuff, I'm like a terrible judge if it's scary or not. But I will say I was, uh, I don't know if it was actually me, myself, that scared me. I think is what had happened. It just ha- I happened to be working on a story um, that just came out in Ellen Datlow's Echoes, uh, big anthology. It's a 800-page anthology of ghost stories. And I was in the middle, you mm-hmm. know, I was in the story, sort of like in the moment, you know, trying to write like a creepy scene. And it was broad daylight, but I was home by myself. And there was a loud crash from upstairs. And... Um, I know I, I got the stereotypical like you know I remember the hair standing up in the back of my neck and I was so freaked out. And, you know me and my little fifteen pound dog, my, who wasn't <laughs> going to protect me. <laughs> it, it, I took um, more than a little of working up the courage to go upstairs. I may or may not have grabbed like a bat or something, even though I know there probably was like windows open or something. And what it was is like some bottle of shampoo had fallen off falling off like mm-hmm. the back of the toilet or, or, fall, or fall, no, it was probably on a shelf in the shower, but still it's like, why did it fall over? Um, but yeah, I mean, so I was totally freaked out and I, I think I, I ended up using sort of that kind of moments or trying to put that kind of moment into the story that I was writing at the time. It sounded like you really built the tension. <laughs> it did for me anyway. <laughs> it's so funny. That's like very, uh, similar to what happened to me earlier. I'm actually reading, I'm right in the middle of, um, disappearance at devil oh. rock because i've never read it um i was right in the middle of a chapter and right i'm in the living room and right next to us by the front door is a little shoe rack and my roommate placed her purse on top of it <laughs> i had been sitting there for a good 30 minutes reading the book and that bag just decided to fall over and crash on the uh, ground yeah. for no apparent reason and i damn near threw the book at See, it. i thought you were gonna say you thought there was a little boy curled up in the corner <laughs> no I was on one of those parts, so that yeah. definitely did not help when I heard their crash. Yeah. Well, I, for every for every reader, I arrange something like that for, to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect yeah. timing. See, that's why the first time I read A Head Full of Ghosts, I only read it in the daylight. That's so I, oh, yeah. That's so cool to hear. Uh, you know, to go back to, I said like I have no idea if something's scary or not. Like I felt like really good about A Head Full of Ghosts. You know, one, I was excited. That was really my first like horror novel that I'd ever written like all the horror stuff that I'd written previously had been short stories um so I was one I was just excited that I'd written a horror novel 
you know, I thought it was good and like sort of smart and clever. Um, but I had no idea if it was, you know, I thought it was disturbing, but I wouldn't know if anyone would be scared by it. But, uh, well, my agent was, you know, shopping it to editors, like within the first week, he got like a, a, a late night phone call, like 1130 at night from an editor he'd sent the book to. And the editor didn't identify herself. She just, he just answered the phone. He was like, why is someone calling me so late? Just answer the phone. And the, and the woman on the other end said, I just read the tongue scene and I had to hear someone's voice. And then she hung, <laughs> and then she hung up. And so I was like, oh, oh yeah. That was the first time I was like, oh, okay. Maybe, maybe the book might, you know, have a good effect on some people. Well, yeah. I think it hits, it hits two things that always really scare me is one, um, I was, my mom's family is super Catholic and I went to Catholic school for a couple of years and uh-huh. the, like the old school Catholic where they make you believe that possession is a real thing. Right. And that because you're a kid, you're vulnerable. So possession has always scared the crap out of me, you know, even when it's the possibility of it. And then also the idea that like, it's the person that you love and you know, who loves you is also the danger to you. Like those are things that just like, just get in all the little scary places in me and you put those two things together and it was just very like I just remember I sat with my like shoulders hunched to my ears for so much of it so I was like okay I need to go read something happy <laughs> like I need a break <laughs> nice well thank you yeah I mean um you know it is you know funny I've heard from so many people that you know possession stories really get to them even like you know uh, an amazing horror writer like Stephen Graham Jones like talks about how you know that's like the one place he's yet to go because it's so, you know, freaks him out, you know, partly cause he's scared of, you know, he's, he's scared of the concept of possession, but there's also the whole like colonization aspect of possession. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, him being, you know, black feet, native American. Um, yeah. I mean, even for people who aren't religious or non-believers, I mean, I think what, what you had said about, you know, the person that you love, I think it also sort of, sort of get, or digs at a little bit like, yeah. So, you know, you have your family members or your partner or, you know, a sibling or whoever, and, they start acting weird. I mean, even if it's not supernatural, the question comes up and you're like, well, how well do I really know, you know, them? How well do I really know anybody else? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like, you know, obviously <laughs> those are the kind of things you don't want to be walking around asking yourself, you know, every minute of every day, cause you're going to freak yourself out. But yeah, I mean, those sort of little subtle things I think are, are, are fun to play with. Definitely. Um, you had a yeah. in the back of the paperback copy of Headful of Ghosts. There's like a you had like a little reading list, which is actually how I ended up we have reading. We have always lived in the castle. Oh, okay, cool. Um, but also, I read that Come Closer by Sarah Grant. Oh, that's great. And that one was fun because it's like you you see this person, where you're like, is this relationship really just getting toxic and dangerous, or is <laughs> she going to murder this guy? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> you know, it's sort of that same idea. Yeah, I know. Sarah does a wonderful job of I, I think. You know, getting getting into your head as the reader and making you question, and, and like you said, just actually question everything that's happening. Um, no, that's definitely a cool one. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that some of these lists, <laughs> your people, uh, <laughs> like the book enough that they they would try other books <laughs> or movies. Definitely. Was there any um, was there any part like a specific scene or just a good chunk of the book that you had a really hard time like writing just from? just a literary standpoint or just trying to get your thoughts out? Uh, so it was, it was kind of funny. I thought I was going to have the hardest time with like the blog posts because for me writing like nonfiction essays, which essentially that's what those are, are, are really hard for me to write. Cause I, you know, I, I, um, I didn't go to school for English or for writing. I was a math major. So I certainly didn't have a lot of practice writing, you know, critical essays or critical papers. 
Um, but for whatever reason, those ended up actually being kind of fun to write. Um, and even the whole book, like almost, I, mean, I wouldn't call it an easy write, but it certainly went a lot faster than most of my books. You know, I started it in February of 2013 and finished it really in late November of 2013. So it was a, for me, that was definitely a fast turnaround. And I know there were parts that were sticky, but, or, you know, that made me like slow down a little bit, but, you know, nothing jumps out at me. I think really the only, the hardest time was, I was about a hundred pages in. And so this was like uh, July, early July of that, of that same year, 2013. And, um, I decided to show the first hundred pages to my editor, Steven. Uh, I mean, not my editor, sorry, my agent, Steven, you know, I, you know, he's been my agent since 2006. We're, you know, very close, good friends. Um, and I decided I needed to show him these, the first hundred pages. I typically never show like a partial, I decided I needed to show him those 100 pages because he thought I was working on a different book. <laughs> uh, you know, I, for, for the prior year, like I'd been working on this book that I was going to call Charles Manson Doesn't Answer My Letters, um, which is still a great title, uh, I think. But uh, Yeah, it is. Um, and it was going to be sort of like this almost like maybe horror, but also more sort of humorous book about uh like an eighth grader who wanted to end the world but you know because he thought people suffered too much he, did, he wasn't like an evil kid necessarily you know and he was going to be writing letters to manson looking for advice yeah and this was before he found out manson was like a terrible person uh so anyway it was sort i mean it was sort of a cool idea but i wasn't feeling it and after a year i only had like 100 pages and i was really looking for excuses to not work on that book and then february um, a head full of ghosts just essentially like lands on my lap. It was like a really like one of those eureka moments that you dream about as a writer. So anyway, I, I didn't tell my agent that I'd put away the Manson book and was working on this other thing. So I said, Hey, cause he had asked me, Hey, how's the Manson book coming? I'm like, well, I'm actually, I'm, I'm writing this possession novel. Yeah. Possession novel. <laughs> um, and I sent him the first hundred pages and his defense, you know, he didn't know, I didn't have an outline. It's one of the few novels I didn't write an outline for. So all I had were these 100 pages. You know, and he didn't know what the rest of the book was going to be or what the whole thing was. Um, and his feedback for the first 100 pages wasn't, wasn't what I wanted to hear, um, mainly because, you know, he was, he was, he was, he was wrong. Just as, you know, he, he admitted to this later. Like, he was like, I don't know if this should be first person. You know, because a lot of the reveals that came in the book later wasn't, wasn't there on the first 100 pages. And that really threw me for a loop. Mm. Um, I think I, I didn't write on the book for like a week after that. Cause I was really sort of distraught and more so just like, ah, you know, I had to decide if he was right or wrong. And I kind of knew he was wrong right off the bat, but it was just more me to work up the courage to be like, well, I'm just going to write it the way I think it should be written. And then we'll deal with deal with it after it's done. Um, so to Steven's credit, you know, when I, when I emailed him the book, when it was done, you know, the first line of his email was, yeah, I'm so never been so happy to tell someone that I was so wrong. You know, he loved the book, and um, so that, that that was definitely, you know, honestly, that's more like the highlights of my professional career, because my first two crime novels, I'm very proud of, but for, you know, a whole slew of reasons, you know, they didn't do very well uh, commercially, so I spent a few years sort of really down on myself as a writer, and really struggling to get anything done, um, so A Head Full of Ghosts just felt like this, you know, this ray of light, you know, as dark as it is, it felt like this really hopeful thing for me. Um, and so to have it sort of like work out just even that way before it even sold, I felt like I had already succeeded with a book that my agent, you know, really liked it and was excited about it. So, 
geez, that was a really long-winded answer to your question about was there a hard part <laughs> to writing the book, but there you go. No, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I think you can see that energy in the story. I do actually have both your crime novels. I have not read them. That's quite okay. My, actually, I'm Morrow's... a fan of their covers, though. Oh, okay. Like, all yeah. those really strange, like, primary colors and patterns. Yeah. Like, that's those nice. are fun. I like the I like the little sleeves cover. I think the the second cover was just kind of slapped together, but uh, my my publisher William Morrow my, uh, is going to reissue those probably like in a year and a half. So that that'll be fun because um, you know the the versions you have are out of print now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're definitely kind of beat up secondhand copies. <laughs> but I'm definitely one of those people where if I like something, I go all in. So when I liked a head full of ghosts, I immediately turned around and bought Disappearance. <laughs> I immediately tried to find the other two. So that's, oh, that's how I, I work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, you know, I would say, like, just briefly, like, the two crime novels definitely sort of play with not so much ambiguity, but play with the idea of memories being, like, being, um, you know, not as sure-footed, you know, an identity because the, the detective in both novels uh, is is narcoleptic, so he, he's not a very good detective. Um, and half, you know, when he falls asleep, he falls asleep directly into like a dream state, and so he's not sure if because his dreams are so vivid if it was real or not. Um, so even then, you get a little bit of the whole. You know, you, you eventually do get answers, but you know, you get my earliest versions of is it real or is it not real kind of stuff. Definitely. So speaking of is it real or is it not real. If there was ever going to be, no, this is not the question you think it's going to be, I promise. Okay. <laughs> if there was ever going to be a show like The Possession, like a reality show saying this person is possessed, we're going to film this exorcism, right. do you think that you would watch it? Um, no. And, and oddly enough, I think um, it wasn't quite the same, but the same summer the book came out, was it the channel Destination America, like a cable channel, announced, oh, we're going to do a, you know, a live exorcism. We're going to do a live exorcism in the, in the supposed exorcist house. Um, and it came to be, well, it wasn't a person. They were going to actually exorcise the house. Um, so that, I think that would have been not as icky as watching someone attempt to possession yeah. of a person. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't watch that. And I, I definitely don't, I would not watch an attempted exorcism of a real person. Because I don't think... I don't think anyone's possessed by demons. I just don't think it's true. I think those are people that are, you know, clearly, clearly suffering from, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of mental illness. And, and if they're putting it on TV, you know, I think they are obviously taking advantage of that person. And when they're not of, you know, clearly the right mind to be able to make any sort of decision on their behalf. So despite my like being in and around Catholic institutions pretty much my whole life, uh, I, I don't believe people get possessed by demons. Bold statement. <laughs> Bold statement. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, I'm not going all the wood in the house <laughs> just in case. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I actually wanted to, the, the obvious question I wanted to ask was the whole, did you, do you have a, definitive ending for the story but um you had said something you knew from the get-go you were wanting it to be ambiguous even though i'm sure you may have your own interpretation well, so i can honestly say um i mean when i first sat down like when the idea first hit me before i even knew what the novel was like oh you know how would i write a possession story i was going to try to you know do it 
you know, from like a skeptical secular point of view. But, you know, once I got into, you know, I, I said in an outline, but I definitely took like some notes in a notebook and just sketched out a few ideas. But once I realized that, I don't know, I, I, I soon realized that ambiguity was really going to be the story, right? That, that to me, that was one of the sources of the horror is that, you know, you don't know what's going on. You know, I wanted that to sort of reflect, you know, in one way, like, um, I wanted that to reflect, you know, sort of the time that we're living through now, like, um, and for me, like doing the, you know, typically when you do something ambiguous, it's like the, the author holding back information from the reader. Um, mm -hmm. and I thought like it was fun for this book. I feel like I did the opposite. Whereas I bombarded and overloaded the reader with all sorts of data, you know, some of it conflicts, um, you know, but no one's, you know, conflicting, I guess, maliciously, no one's like lying on purpose necessarily. But that's sort of like the light, yeah, you know, it's how we live now. We're just inundated with so much data, so much information. You know, some of it is false, some of it isn't. You know, and how do you figure out what's true or not? Um, so to me, you know, that's that's scary. That's a scary part of our, our daily existence. Um, so yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I mean, once I realized, okay, for this book to work, I really had to walk the line. So I definitely, you know, divorced myself from any thought process of okay this is i'm gonna do it this i'm gonna play it ambiguously but this is the real ending i honestly went into it well you know once i got to a certain point in the book it said okay i need to be able to make two sort of equally argued cases for there's something supernatural happening there's not something supernatural happening um yeah so i mean i <laughs> i get asked that all the time and and you know um you know, I keep saying honestly, usually when someone says honestly, they're actually trying to hide it. But in my case, I'm not. Um, I really don't have an, an ending, like a, like the like the ending of the book in mind, other than like, you know, the last few pages of the book. I, I actually think you, I think, I think you executed it perfectly because some either movies, books, whatever will end on an ambiguous note, but in a very frustrating way, like there's you know 20 questions that can be asked and i feel like you kind of just left us on just the one and it was just the perfect one to end on because you can do this you can deconstruct it you know 40 different right. ways well, thank you um you know listen I, I understand as a reader and and i i know people can get frustrated with with ambiguity you know particularly if you know like i mentioned my my interests as a reader tend to be more toward you know the character stuff you know, I understand there are a lot of readers who are more like, you know, and then what happens? That's what, you know, that's what I'm interested in. Um, I think for the ambi ambiguity to work, it, it needs to be like, it needs to be there for a reason other than like, you know, just like a cheap parlor trick. You know what I mean? It needs to be part of the DNA of the story. Like there needs to be a reason why the ambiguity is there. Um, you know, and I tried to explain a little bit just how, how it reflects sort of like our, our day-to-day -day lives. But I mean, that's how, that's how I looked at it anyway. Well, I think that's why it was so important for Mary, for it to be first person, for Mary to be the narrator. Um, because she, it, she only can tell us what she knows. Like, that's, I think, the difference between ambiguity and, like, a cliffhanger or an unanswered question is we only know what she knows. And we have to make our decision based on her information. You know, that that leaves doors open without it feeling like you're just trying to pull pull something over. Right. No, I mean, Mary, Mary's definitely, I mean, I mean, she's an uh, unreliable narrator, 
but it's not necessarily by choice. I don't think. I mean, mm-hmm. um, although I mean, I, I've had I've <laughs> some people's interpretations of the book, you know, think that you know maybe she is purposefully, um, you know, misleading people. Yeah, you know, which is fine too. But you know, I I do think whether or not you believe she's purposely misleading people, I think it's also you know very reasonable to believe that she's not. I mean, she's. 23 years old remembering you know what happened to her when she was eight and also you know so there's that sort of gap of memory your memories change as you go it changes memories change by what people tell you you know and she's been obviously she's got to watch you know the the she gets to watch the possession tv show episodes i mean that's gonna that's gonna affect her memory as well right so even you know she she isn't quite sure what happened as well so i hope you know i was hoping that you know, her narrative would never feel like a cheat just because you were getting, um, that, that she was necessarily withholding stuff back. And I knew it had to be from her point of view, because if I did do it third person, I do feel like it would have been a cheat that it would have been me withholding information from the reader. That makes sense. Cause you, you feel like she's only unreliable just because again, you only know what she knows and she may not, want to necessarily accept what's happening if it is in fact happening right yeah um no absolutely i think you know again like having that that the time span helps um you know and the time and the well the time span within her memories but also obviously you know the, the time span between whether she's telling it you know past tense or or whatever is happening to her now you know in talking with the interviewer yeah have you gotten any like weird or interesting reactions from people? <laughs> Have people been mad at you? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess not counting like uh, I've gotten better at not reading online reviews. <laughs> I wasn't better at it when when a head full of ghosts came out, but I've learned learned the hard way. But the, I would say the strangest one I got like a Facebook message from someone saying, "Oh, you know, I love the book, you know, because it's so real. Because this is happening in my house right now with my niece or something like that." <laughs> And it really oh, was kind of like, uh, oh, well, you know, I, I wasn't sure if it was just like a troll or a put on, but the person seemed fairly sincere. You know, they never like jumped out and said, hey, gotcha. <laughs> um, I think I just said, hey, well, you know, I, I would maybe yeah. skip on the exorcist and maybe try, you know, to have, you know, your, your niece see some counseling kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, <laughs> it wasn't a lot of fun receiving that. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, especially people who, message me directly it's more just you know people have been very nice you know i usually do get asked you know what do you think happened or didn't happen um but again i I give them the same answer i just gave you i think that's fair Uh, i'm glad more people aren't mad at you (laughs) i feel like you hear a lot you know authors especially when it's so easy to to share your thoughts with with writers now I feel like we only really hear about the bad stuff. So I'm glad for the most part, no one yells at you. Yeah. No, uh, I, I get more of the yelling for cabinet, the cabinet at the end of the world, uh, which I was really surprised by. Like I, uh, compare, I don't know, for, for some reason I didn't think that people would, would, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? I don't know. I was surprised that people, I know it was an ambiguous ending for cabin, but I was surprised so few people, so few people could extrapolate from that ending you know, for their own, for their own sort of ending. Um, See, I was you know, prepared may- for that ending. Yeah. So maybe like a head full of ghosts sort of spoiled me. Cause I feel like the reaction was generally pretty positive for most people. Um, anyway, I'm trying to like talk around sort of different endings. 
um, without spoiling them necessarily. <laughs> I know maybe people reading this have read a handful of ghosts, but maybe not Cabin, so I don't want to spoil. I don't want to spoil two books. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's yeah, funny it's, because, it's, sorry, with a handful of ghosts, yeah. I actually was totally like, yeah, it's possession. Like, I got to the end of it, and I halfway through the book, a friend was like, oh, I'd read it. I love that. It's great. You're going to love it. And I got to the end, and I texted him, and I said something about blah, 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 like possession. He goes, but was she possessed? And I had to rethink the whole book. Yeah. And then I was like, I don't know. And it took me two more reads before I made up my mind. Oh, wow. Two more. So uh, Two more over, what, we're looking at like four, three, four years, three okay. years, where I had, where I finally made up my mind. So, so, so three times. Well, well, let me ask you, what is it since you've made up your mind? <laughs> I do not think it's possession. Okay. But, and... In my day job, I have to do a lot of training on, like, trauma and its effects Ooh. on the brain. And so I think with with that in mind, it's it's so clearly, to me, it's almost like it, it could be schizophrenia, but also just, like, PTSD. Like, she reads, right. Right. like, Marjorie reads like someone who was abused. And I think that, that everything that happens really reads that way. So to me, it's more, you know, mental illness plus trauma. Which is also potentially why even Mary as an adult could be unreliable because she's similarly traumatized. Right. Um, you know, that her her brain didn't develop or, or create a protective core around what happened when she was eight. Um, so I think it, it took me until rereading for this one where I finally sat down. I was like, you know what? I, I don't think it is. Like, I see all these things that I'm familiar with and trained on that, to me, it's, it's mental illness. Yeah. No, um... Cool. No, I was going to say, you know, Mary definitely, um, I think, hopefully, you know, reacts with sort of some, no, I, I will say hopefully, because I don't hope that she has PTSD, but clearly, you know, living through what she lived through as an, as an eight-year-old is going to affect her. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's still fun for me. I mean, even me for to go back and think about the book, um, you know, I'm sure there's always little details that I forget, <laughs> you know, because I haven't reread it in a while. Um you know, it's fun. I, I love hearing people, you know, talk about their different theories about the book. I kind of feel like the more hardcore horror fans tend to to fall towards it's the possession side of things, um, whereas people who aren't necessarily horror readers maybe more have your opinion. But it, it's certainly not one to one. I would agree with that. What about you, Brad? What do you think? Uh, Still undecided. <laughs> it, it, I, well, no, it's, I was going to say it, it is kind of more or less how you broke it down, just, but you have more experience in that. So I didn't go in depth. I was just kind of the whole, just mm-hmm. basically PTSD thing. And, and, you know, again, just, you know, for, for all we know, they, they're both have PTSD, which is why she's so unreliable as a narrator. Yeah. It's, I, I'm also someone who doesn't believe in possession. So that was already right out of my mind. But, you know, there there was just the intricacies of the way you wrote some of the scenes was like, oh, okay, I might be, I might be turned around on this now. Maybe she really is. But then there's other scenes where it's just as subtle as others where you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe not. Maybe there is something just really wrong with her. But, yeah, it, I, I'm somewhat undecided, but the decided part of me is essentially what Ash said, just like I said, not as in depth because I don't have that same kind of. Yeah, I tried to pat myself on so to be like, well, she's both mentally ill and possessed. I'm like, that's just cheating. You got to pick one. That's cheating. <laughs> yeah. 
well, it's funny Go, going back, I guess, to the question when you asked, like, would I watch like a show with someone being possessed? Um, I think even like if you got the paper, if people have the paperback, you know, I, I wrote like a little liner note section. I think I point out that you know, there's a line probably at the halfway point where Mary says to her interviewer, you know, something to the effect of, um, you know, how, how, how is it that, you know, the potential sort of mental breakdown of a 14 year old girl, you know, on like essentially not live TV, but on national television, isn't horrific enough. You know, just the idea that, um, you know, what is happening to, to Marjorie regardless, either way, you know, is a horror. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and some of that I guess is maybe <laughs> a pre, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Um, it was a little bit to maybe a comment on like, you know, some horror readers that would read this and be like, Oh, nothing, you know, nothing's going on. Nothing scary. Like, no, how, how is, you know, just because there isn't like, I don't know, because there isn't a ton of gore or violence, you know, what, what's happening to her in real life is actually, you know, whether or not something supernatural could still be happening is scary. Um, I will say I did try to make to me the most disturbing parts of the book, um, to be the ones that, um, most uh, the, the the parts of the book that didn't necessarily, I guess, were maybe the least supernaturally tinged, potentially, like those scenes in the movie were, for me, uh, the most disturbing or scary. I mean, maybe one would be the tongue scene, you know, where where Marjorie is just, you know, threatening her sister. Um, I don't know. To me, I, I felt like that scene was really disturbing. And then obviously, what happens with, you know, the family at the dinner table. Um, yeah, I did not see that one coming. <laughs> well, because you hadn't read We Have Always Lived in the Castle first. <laughs> exactly. Actually, yeah. the image that always like kind of haunts my mind, because I feel like you, for being kind of, like, it's not like a giant book, but I feel like it's very visual. There's a the part where she, like, jumps off the balcony of the stairs. Mm. I don't know what it is about that that just, like, really scares me. Like, I almost picture her looking like, um, have you seen The Page Master? No. When Jekyll turns into Hyde, the way they draw cartoon Hyde is just terrifying. And somehow those two images like blurred together for me in that moment. And it, that scene just, that mm-hmm. moment just really creeped me out for some reason. Oh, cool. No, I was, uh, <laughs> I mean, as a horror, I was excited to get to that scene. I knew it was an important one, you know, the her jumping off the stairs and, you know, to try to treat everything, you know, to try to give everything either a supernatural tent in with a plausibility tent too was, you know, I figured it would be a little bit of a challenge. Just the idea that she might actually be levitating there for a moment or two. But, you know, if the levitation is that brief, you know, is it actually happening? Um, you know, just the fact that this 14-year-old girl has been moved to, you know, to, to jump from two stories, you know, could, you know, very dangerously could obviously result in her death is, I don't know, I've, you know, a, a nice, hopefully a nice build up to that scene that's disturbing and, and horrific for, on, you know, multiple levels. Definitely. Yeah. Well, to kind of start wrapping this up, uh, there's one, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but um, how how was it getting a blurb from Uncle Steve? <laughs> oh, it was amazing. Um, you mean August 19th, uh, 2015? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I had, I had full of, a head full of ghosts came out uh, June, early June of that summer. And then, um, you know, I had heard that, oh, I, I tried sending him a book through his assistant, but, you know, his assistant was very nice, was very upfront. 
that, oh, you know, he's got like a room full of books and, you know, he'll wander through and pick one. So the chances are he probably won't get it. But I, I, I did hear from two friends slash acquaintances that they, who are friends of Stephen, said they had sent him the book and said, yeah, oh, you really should read this. So it was kind of like through most of that summer hoping that he would read it. You know, and then it was like, you know, late, late August. I was like, yeah, you know, he gets sent a thousand books. He's busy. Or maybe he started it, didn't like it kind of thing. You know, and I was just home, like, we had bought a new table, so I was moving furniture and cranky, and it was hot, and school was starting, so I was bummed out. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, my phone started, you know, blowing up, because other friends had seen Stephen King tweet about A Head Full of Ghosts before I did. Um, and so I'm not ashamed to admit that I got teary-eyed. I mean, I I became a reader, never mind a writer, because of because of Stephen. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I stopped moving furniture. I went and grabbed my laptop and grabbed a six pack of beer out of the fridge and sat <laughs> and had myself a one man party. Just watching people react to the uh, people react to the tweet the rest of the night. Oh man. You don't plan on getting that uh, date tattooed on you or anything or just the tweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all, it's all across my shoulders. Oh man. So. No, <laughs> I would definitely print out that tweet and frame it. That's for sure. <laughs> I will say that did help get me to read your book because I, I really was in the mood for a ghost story. So I Googled, ghost stories yeah and, and i bought three books in the result that and, and head of ghost was one of them part was like stephen king says it's really good i'm like yeah okay and that was the first it was the first one of that chunk i read and those three books are all tied together in my brain forever now nice. what are the other two books uh horror store by grady hendrix okay and the elementals by michael mcdowell ah, nice. which has now become your favorite book yeah it is that is like Headful Ghosts and Elementals are, are pretty tied together for me. I loved both those books. They were really good, like, s- creepy summer reads. Yeah. Um, so it always Excellent. makes me, puts me in a very, like, warm mood to read both of them. <laughs> ah, nice. No, I've heard, I know I need to read that. I've heard everyone, I t- everyone who's ever read that book just raves about it, uh, the Elementals. Um, yeah, no, I mean, his tweet certainly changed the trajectory of the book. I mean, there's no, <laughs> it's almost like no quantifying how much, you know, you know, he, he makes recommendations on Twitter all the time, but I think sort of like how we phrase the tweet really like made people like sit up and go, oh, okay. You know, saying like a head full of ghosts scared the living hell out of me and I'm not easy to, and I'm hard to scare or something like that. Like, look at me pretending I don't know it by heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, the book, I mean, the sales of the book went crazy from there and, you know, it's really become like a cult hit. I mean, it sells still sells like 50 to 100 copies every week or two oh, you know it's pretty cra- you know it's pretty crazy you know four years going on four years after the book was originally published that's amazing well i think from him you can really trust it too because he always says like to be a good writer you need to be a reader and i think people who really follow him take that seriously you know there's no, plenty of things he's recommended that i wouldn't read but <laughs> <laughs> i was like it sounds good i'm into this let's do it <laughs> yeah and no, I think he's... it got me reading horror again overall, to be honest with you. You know, cool. I'd kind of just been reading King, but I hadn't really looked into things outside him. Like, sometimes he can be all you read in the genre. Right. And so I think, sure. honestly, I, I do think reading A Head Full of Ghosts really got me being like, there is more out there and I need to read it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that not every King reader is a horror reader, clearly. I mean, if, if that was the case, I mean, like, horror would be one of the top-selling genres. Um, yeah, so I'm always grateful to have... <laughs> The constant readers who aren't necessarily hard readers branch out uh, based off of his uh, recommendations. Because Uncle Steve has been very good to me. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. 
Um, I meant to say this when we first started, but I also wanted to uh, congratulate you on your newest release of short stories called Growing Things. Thank you. I appreciate Um, it. I've only read, I think, the first two so far, but I know Ash has finished it. She probably finished it, what, a week after it came out? (laughs) Like, I think I couldn't get to it until like, it had been out for a week and I read it in two oh, days. Geez. Oh, wow, two days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of reading. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. That's my one talent. Like, that's what I'm really good at. <laughs> reading fast? <laughs> reading fast. I am oh. the complete opposite. <laughs> I read extremely <laughs> well, slow. Well, we, th- we managed to get through buddy reads, though. Yeah, We're that's good. true. That is true. But, no, I, I definitely enjoyed the collection. I'd have a lot of questions, but I don't want to spoil them. I don't want to spoil any of the stories for Brad. I know they're ones he hasn't gotten yeah. to yet. Okay. Is there um, a new uh, novel on the horizon? Yes, it'll be out next July. Uh, I think it's going. I say I think because there's been discussion about. We've been arguing about the title. When I say we, my my publisher and I, but uh, I'm pretty sure at this point it's going to be called Survivor Song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's coming out next July, and it's sort of, I guess, my sort of take on a. I'm not going to quite call it a zombie novel necessarily, but it is sort of an infected novel mm. where uh, a, a super rabies breaks out uh, in and around the Boston area. Um, and so there's no, there's no supernatural ambiguous element to the story at all. So it's, you know, I know I can't do that forever. <laughs> uh, every, everyone will get mad eventually <laughs> if I do that all the time. Um, but it does, you know, it, I feel like it's a little bit of a, is it a quieter story? Maybe, than you know, than a usual infector zombie novel, but it really focuses on um, two you know, two characters and almost like a real time situation. It's like basically four to six hours of this outbreak early on in this outbreak, um, and one of the main characters is named Natalie, and she's in her mid thirties, and she's like thirty seven, thirty eight weeks pregnant, and her best friend uh, Ramola or Rams, as as Natalie calls her, is uh, is a pediatrician. Mm. I'm definitely curious. We know how your possession novels go, so I'm curious to see how an infected novel goes. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. I'm, I'm already um, hooked. Yeah. You already hooked. Yeah. It was, I had to do a lot of research for it, so that was hard. But uh, my, my sister, Erin, who's a nurse in Boston, was a huge help. And I also had the strange experience of emailing my, my children's pediatrician to ask him some like really <laughs> potentially icky, uncomfortable questions, but he was totally into it, so that was cool. <laughs> Lucy probably knows, like, in addition to being a teacher, you're a writer, so it's not like you're just this creep asking these weird yeah. questions. Right. Just end it with, by the way, you I'm know, not writing every... anything, I just wanted to know. <laughs> See, I did go to school for writing, and we always talked about how we really hoped we never got in trouble and someone had to look at our Google histories, because uh-huh. they're pretty weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, I thank you so much for doing this. We thank you so much for doing this. This was amazing. That's very exciting. We were very nervous. Yes. So. Oh, oh, well, uh... <laughs> No, thank you. It's, I mean, uh, I don't know. It's always fun to talk about a head full of ghosts. I mean, I, I will admit it has a <laughs> has a very soft spot in my heart, if, if not my favorite. If I'm allowed to choose favorites. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll uh, have you back next time around uh, June or July then. All right, cool. All right, well, you take care and have a good right, rest of your you, night. Thank you, Okay, thanks, Brad Nash. Thank you.